Hey y'all, David here. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the American Spinal Injury Association's annual scientific meeting in 2022. Just a reminder that this is the first year of SCI Science Perspectives, so we apologize for the technical difficulties we faced and hope the audio quality doesn't distract too much from your listening experience. We plan to record live at meetings in coming years, and promise at those times we'll have our kit up to speed. For now, enjoy this session. SDI Science Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. In this podcast, we'll be discussing emerging literature spanning the full spectrum of SCI research, from discovery to clinical application. You're listening to a Scholarly Perspectives episode with Jacob G. Long, recorded live at the 2022 Asia Annual Meeting in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. And I'm your other host, Marla, and today we will be discussing the unpublished results of a project titled, Does the Speed of Robotic Leg Movements During Tilt-Table Verticalization Mitigate Orthostatic Hypotension in Subacute SCI, which is enabled due to the 2019 Nielsen Asia Research Award. Our guest today is Jacob G. Long. Jacob received his doctorate in physical therapy from the University of Mississippi Medical Center in 2013. He joined Methodist Rehabilitation Center in 2014, soon transitioning to the spinal cord injury program to advance his education and clinical expertise with this complex condition. In parallel to his clinical duties, he achieved two assistive technology certificates from the Rehabilitation Engineering and Assistive Technology Society of North America, the Assistive Technology Professional, and Seating and Mobility Specialist. After passing the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties Board Examination in Neurologic Physical Therapy in 2018, he has been promoted to the position of clinical specialist. In this role, he serves as a resource and mentor for other therapists and students and actively collaborates with the investigators at the Methodist Research Division, the Center for Neuroscience and Neurological Recovery. So welcome, Jacob, as well as our live audience here at the 2022 Asia Annual Meeting held in New Orleans. As a housekeeping note, the audience can submit live questions via the Kahoot app. A web-based version is available on all devices via the URL kahoot.it. The login for our session is number 1073719. So welcome, Jacob. We're so happy to have you. That's good to be here. Well, first off, um, what was really your motivation or initial question in uh, creating this study? Uh, I guess to address that, I have to talk about the Arigo a little bit. Um, <clears throat> it was a device that was acquired for our facility on a, a quality of life grant. Um, specifically for the SCI population. It's from a company by the name of Hakoma, and they provided it to us. They sent in a training team and trained us in use of it. Um, it's just a single day's training, um, very quick and user-friendly to get into practice in a clinical setting. But once we were trained in it, though, like we were trained in how to use it, but not really provide any specific guidelines on how to use it. Um, they pretty much just gave it to us and said, have at it. So we got into the clinic and started using it, and we're seeing good results from it clinically. But then again, like I said, the, the question of like, well, how do we best use this thing kept coming back to us. So um, we had several discussions amongst ourselves, which eventually turned into several discussions between us and our research department, which led to um, trying to figure out how to best use this thing. So we eventually settled on speed as our study parameter we wanted to look at because it was one of the easiest parameters to actually adjust during the course of using the device. So and then the rest just kind of snowballed from there. You've already anticipated some of our questions. 
I was really interested, especially from the professional perspective to know what it's like to work with this device. So it seems like it's been pretty friendly. You talked about the speed being a parameter you can adjust. So can you talk about how the adjustments are made and what adjustments can be made while the device is being used? Sure, sure. Um, so once you've actually put the patient in the device and gotten them set up, there is a process for donning a safety harness to the patient, getting them set up, make sure you're moving within safe parameters as far as the range of motion and whatnot. But once you actually get into the training portion of the use of the device, you can obviously adjust the angle of elevation for a full tilt position from uh, zero degrees to, it has a margin of error of five degrees on its internal um, inclinometer, but it says you can get up to 90 degrees. I've had it tell me 95 a few times, but 90 degrees. <laughs> um, so you can adjust the angle of elevation, the speed from zero to 80 steps per minute, so it, it caps out at 80. That's the fastest you can go. Um, and then it does have functional electrical stimulation that is patterned to the stepping that you can use in tandem with the stepping. Um, so you have to set up all those together um, to kind of get the ball rolling. And then you can also adjust patient position. Um, the length of the table can be adjusted. The angle of the head of the table can be adjusted. The uh, range of motion through which the patient's legs are moving with the passive movement can be adjusted on the fly. So there's quite a few different adjustments you can make to try to optimize what you're doing with the patient. But the speed in particular is just uh, up and down. <laughs> so it's relatively easy to adjust. And you, as the clinician or researcher, are adjusting that. Can the patient adjust it themselves? No. Uh, unfortunately, with the setup, um, all of the control is down. There's a tablet that's mounted on a, um, an upright pole to the end of the device where you're doing your primary adjustments from, and it's not accessible by the patient during the training. But we're constantly asking them for feedback. One thing we use in our facility is we have a um, blood pressure and heart rate monitor that's set up on a two-minute timer, so every two minutes it's running, monitoring blood pressure and heart rate, and then we're constantly asking them for their feedback. How are you feeling? You know, are you noticing anything different, anything strange, anything out of the ordinary? Like, you know, have that conversation with us. Absolutely, and in anticipation of one of our other questions, the device has an integrated FES component. And so, do you have experience with the FES, and if so, have you seen any difference between the passive movement and the active muscle contraction in terms of the primary outcomes like with orthostatic hypotension and blood pressure regulation? Yes, I've used the FES uh, almost every time I've used the device. Um, it's relatively easy to set up. Now, it only incorporates four muscle groups. It has your, your quadriceps, your hamstrings, your tibialis anterior, and then your gastric soleus complex. Um, and you can, it's fairly easy to set up. You know, use fairly standard electrode positioning connect the leads and then um, as far as the settings go, you kind of globally set the phase duration and the frequency, but then you can tailor the intensities to each individual muscle group, um, which you can also adjust on the fly during training. There, there's a tab on the screen that you can go to to adjust those parameters. So I've used it fairly often and I, I just anecdotally, I feel like I see a difference. I feel like the FES does help support patient blood pressure while we're going through this training process. but. Um, at the same time though, I mean, you're also getting the many added benefits of just the e-stem itself through those neural pathways that you're stimulating. You get um, the upright positioning for challenge to the cardiovascular system. Um, you get the weight bearing, so you get all that sensory feedback through the stepping motion and through the weight bearing through the patient's legs. So there's, there's a lot of benefits to it that the e-stem helps to facilitate. And so with the current study that you presented here at Asia, 
you did not test the active FTS component. Is that correct? We chose not to. Understood. You're trying to isolate variables. And so can you talk a little bit about the results of the study that was funded by the 2019 Nielsen Asia, Asia Research Award? Yes. Yeah. Let me preface this by saying our, our subject pool is a little smaller than we intended. <laughs> Preliminary results. <laughs> we, we had intended to recruit at least 25 SCI subjects. The, the COVID-19 pandemic severely interfered with that. So we wound up with, I think we had 10 or 12 SCI patients that we actually ran through the protocol. But then once we started getting into it and eliminating data for various reasons, we ended up with about eight patients that we felt like were good to, or had good data to include into the um, analysis. So with those patients, what we saw was of the eight, all of them had a benefit to the addition of stepping compared to baseline. So we, let me start over. When we're progressing through the Ariga portion of the test, um, we would always elevate the patient through the four angles at zero steps per minute initially to see their response. Um, the majority, I think if I remember correctly, three or four of them we had to terminate the trial based on our safety parameters, but then several of them we did see significant drops in blood pressure, although it may or may not have violated our safety thresholds. Once we added the steps with the 40 steps per minute and the 80 steps per minute, um, the majority of those patients were able, actually all of them were able to complete the trial through both of those stepping speeds. So the addition of the stepping did help maintain better blood pressure levels. Um, and we were specifically looking at systolic blood pressure. As far as 40 versus 80, we did see some evidence to suggest that the faster speed may be more beneficial, but we didn't really feel like we had enough evidence to say for certain that it did, but we did have enough to say that st stepping in conjunction with incremental verticalization was beneficial for maintaining their systolic blood pressure during that heads-up maneuver. And so just to clarify, there was a single step for the tilt, is that right? When you say single step, you mean zero to the full elevation or? Okay. Correct. No, we would progressively step through positions. We started in zero, went zero, 25, 50, 75, spending two minutes in each position. And as long as they could complete the two minutes, we'd move to the next angle. Great. Thank you. And then at the final tilt angle, for how long were they there? before, regardless of them hitting those cutoffs, before the, uh, like the data collection stopped? We maintained data collection throughout. So um, we used a device, it was a heartbeat to heartbeat monitor of blood pressure and heart rate. Um, and that device itself um, required a <laughs> extensive calibration and setup um, to get it going. But once, once we actually started the trial, we maintain continuous monitoring throughout um, from start to finish. So um, from time zero through our initial five minute baseline, our two minute safety threshold period, and then straight into the stepping, the zero steps per minute all the way to 75, back to zero, and then through the next two stepping speeds in similar fashion, but it was continuous throughout. And the total duration of the, the session? Mm -hmm. On average, about an hour and a half. So um, one thing that I didn't talk about as much yesterday in the presentation that I have a little more time to talk about now is uh, we did a, a preliminary setup test prior to the Arigo Pro verticalization test, which we would also use this, uh, it's called the Fenipress Nova, the um, heartbeat to heartbeat monitor. We would do the setup test with that to try to see if there was some distinction between patients that had a positive and negative test prior to going into the Arigo test and then prog progress into the Arigo test. So by the time we got the patient in the gym, set up with the Finipress, 
ran through the setup test, transferred to the Eurigos, reset up the Finipress, and ran through the Eurigo portion about 90 minutes. So I have to ask, do you know if the sit-up test results were predictive of the tilt results? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> if I remember correctly, we had at least a few of the patients that had positive sit-up tests prior to participation in the Rego test. Part of our inclusion criteria was either self or therapist reported onset of OH during a therapy session. That was one of our screening tools that we used to recruit patients. So we kind of came at it with the mindset of, okay, they're reporting these symptoms, you know, the patient or the therapist. So we want to screen with the setup test because it is a common test used in the clinic to try to screen out patients with OH and then progress them through the Rego test and kind of see how those correlated with one another. We're still looking at that portion of the data at the moment. We'll probably get into that a little bit more, especially as I get back to Methodist, because we do have plans to present a lot of these um, findings that within our own system and then publish eventually and go from there. So right now, I don't know the full story, but eventually we all will. <laughs> Please do those analyses. <laughs> so I have to ask, you know, from a clinical you know, point of view, how are the patients receiving these treatments? You know, you ha you're set up to a tilt table, you're in incrementally increasing the tilt, then you're adding, you know, leg movement at speeds and plus or minus the FES. I mean, there's a lot going on. Then you're asking patients to monitor whether they're getting orthostatic symptoms on top of, you know, the actual monitoring of their blood pressure, heart rate, and things like that. You know, how are the patients receiving these treatments? Are they, you know, comfortable with them? Is it a lot going on and they, you know, kind of using or... It, it can be confusing at first. A lot of these patients, they, when they come in and initially kind of see the device, they're like, you're going to strap me to that and you're going to do what? So we spend some time explaining it. Um, and then once they get to the part of the conversation where we're talking about standing, then usually they're fully bought in. Um, most, you know, the, one of the primary goals a lot of SEI patients have on the initial part of their injury and rehab is, I want to stand, I want to walk. So a lot of them, usually if we're, if we're talking about standing in a, a simulated stepping or walking motion, most of them buy in pretty quickly. Um, it's usually not a very hard sell at that point. <laughs> so um, most of them are very willing to try the device to get into it, to get upright and, you know, be in that full stand position with the leg motion and, um, you know, attempt to improve their condition through that process. So it's not a very difficult sell. <laughs> and you brought a great point about patient-reported orthostatic symptoms. I mean, we had a great talk earlier in the Asia conference about how patient-related, you know, symptomatic orthostatic hypertension actually less if we monitor the, you know, blood pressure. And so did you notice any impact on that on your study at all? You mean with regards to post-treatment? Yeah, just if you notice that you were seeing a drop in blood pressure that wasn't necessarily reported by the uh, by the therapist that was working with them. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. We did notice that some through the data. Um, one of the subjects I talked about yesterday, actually, she had a positive setup test and failed the zero steps per minute portion of the Irigo Pro trial. Um, we had to return her to, to zero degrees pretty quickly. But one thing I remember from her specifically is as we were doing both of those parts of the trial, she would cross into that orthostatic area relatively quick. She had no idea. 
she had to drop pretty low from a systolic standpoint before she would begin to feel symptoms. She felt them much more readily with the standing portion, with the erigo portion, um, which makes sense. I mean, when you go from supine to sitting, it's not as much of an orthostatic challenge as when you go from supine to a full stand. So the symptoms were felt much faster with her during the erigo portion of the trial. But it, it took a substantial amount of time before she began to have symptoms. Um, and there were a couple like that, if I remember correctly. So Jacob, Dr. Farkas wants to know, why do you think the faster speed is more beneficial? Is there a potential mechanism you've thought of? So we've discussed that quite a bit, actually. The theory, especially if you look at the manufacturer material, is that the leg movement, especially at the faster speeds, should equate to increased flow, increased blood flow. So you should essentially get increased cardiovascular return, which would increase your preload and increase your output. However, you know, most of our SCI patients are very fragile autonomically. So we've had several discussions about whether it's a product of speed or if it's a product of, you know, tightness of the harness, or, you know, maybe it is the motion, just the purely the motion itself, or is it the orthostatic challenge? We, we've had that discussion quite a few times between me and Dr. Stockich and several other members of the research team. Um, based on our data, it, it seems that faster is better, um, but it can also be a product of the, several of those other things as well. Or, well, I mean, it's a discussion we've had anyway. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point, and it can possibly help us try to sort of figure out which patients may be most able to kind of use the device and things like that as well. I have another question here from Dr. Allison Kessler, and the question really brings up a great point, and it's that, you know, standing for a lot of patients with spinal cord injuries can be a, a priority and can be not only physically helpful, but mentally, emotionally, very important for some patients. So any thoughts about using like a standing frame versus a tilt table? And would that maybe be an option for patients such as the one that you brought up earlier that wasn't able to tolerate the tilt table? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very possible. They both attempt to achieve the same thing. I think the question you have to ask is, can the patient tolerate the transfer into the device plus the prolonged sitting before they come to standing? We have used the Rego as a means of trying to improve orthostatic tolerance to translate into some of those other activities. When y'all introduced me, you mentioned um, my credentialing with uh, the ATP and SMS. So I, I do a fairly large volume of wheelchair, custom wheelchair evaluations at the hospital from year to year. And on occasion, we have a patient that we think would benefit from power standing. There are several power standing wheelchairs out there on the market. And when we've had those patients that we thought might benefit from that, we've, when we've had enough time, we've reached out to the manufacturers, you know, gotten a hold of a device, you know, trialed it and see how they tolerated it. And in the event that they weren't able to tolerate it, tried to use interventions such as the Rego, the tilt table or standing frame to improve their tolerance to translate to um, the power standing ability for use out in the community. Because um, as you said, it, it is a big deal for them for the most part. And it has a lot of benefits from just the uh, medical health side of things. Just to mention a company in particular that I've had a lot of interaction with, Permobil. They're a pow primarily power wheelchair company, but they have an education department that puts out a lot of material. And you do have to ask the question, you know, is it uh, in their benefit or in their interest or not? But uh, a lot of their material does support standing for the health of multiple systems throughout the body, um, cardiovascular, endocrine, digestive, musculoskeletal, things like that. So 
if standing has such a big impact from a health standpoint and we can improve that through use of the Arigo and other standing interventions, I think it's well worth trying to do that to lead towards that goal of standing for those patients. All right. Thank you so much for the audience questions. All right. Wrapping up here. Can you speak briefly about the role that the Nielsen Asia Research Award played in this project? Yeah. So we, like I said, we progressed through several discussions amongst the staff and with the research department. And we were trying to figure out how to get this off the ground um, in the context of, you know, still meeting our clinical expectations with treating patients and documentation and whatnot, but then also doing the actual research. Um, so it was suggested to us by our research department that we consider the Asia Award because it was kind of geared towards that, that clinician researcher standpoint of, you know, providing funds to help provide the opportunity to get into the research world in a very meaningful way. And the grant itself was very beneficial in that it didn't, for me personally, the way I kind of interpreted things is it wasn't a push towards like generating results so much as it was exposure to the research process and figuring that out and learning how that works and you know, really trying to figure out if it's something you enjoy and if it is, you know, provide an opportunity to delve into it and, you know, further your career. So the um, Asia Award very much facilitated that for us. It was a prime opportunity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, first to our guest, Jacob Long. Awesome project, really interesting. And we're excited to kind of hear the results as you move forward. And thank you again to our live audience and for the questions. And this is a lot of fun. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the first season of SCI Science Perspectives, brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendations of Asia's America's Committee. The podcast is made possible by the leadership of Dr. Suzanne Groh, your producers and hosts, David McMillan and Marla Pitriello, our editor, Abby Fox, and Asia's front office. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, contact us at sciperspectivespodcast at gmail.com.